I think more people are are speaking up about what's happening internally versus what we're seeing externally. Um, but I also think not enough people are. And I feel like a big lesson for me is I just see the external and I take it as like fact. Fact, yes. And then compare it against my internal world. And I'm like, wow, I'm I'm messed up because I seem to be the only one struggling with this. But then you talk to people and it's like everyone's struggling, but not everyone's talking about it. And that was Amanda Crew, who's our guest today. Very excited about Amanda, her work, and today's episode in particular. Uh, I'm guessing you're familiar with Amanda, probably if you're a listener to this audience from, she was a star in the hit series Silicon Valley, which was, uh, I don't know, ran seven, I think, seasons on HBO. But she's also a very accomplished actor across a number of, um, I don't know, different places and ways you'd know her. Smallsville, Final Destination 3, Life As We Know It, Sex Drive was a very popular movie. She's an amazing actor. And I referred to this early on in the show. She's just a wise soul. Now, this is Amanda's second time on the show. The first time was at peak Silicon Valley. Um, I think it was maybe season five. This was five or six years ago. We cover a little bit of that. We reminisce. Today's show is really interesting, I believe in particular, because it deals with the way that we as creators, as entrepreneurs, how we identify and relate to ourselves. The fact that so much of our, historically or culturally speaking, so much of our value is tied to the work that we put out in the world and how that is radically unfair and and creates a lot of challenges. Now, there's so much in today's culture. Again, we're getting programmed all the time with a lot of conventions and a lot of our conditioning that we have to look like this or be like this or our work has to be a certain way. In today's episode, again, what you're, you're going to hear in Amanda's wisdom is someone who's been very, very successful at a career that's put them you know, on television, you, you become very popular. And she is so honest and vulnerable and shares a lot about the downside of that and the, the part that you know does not show up on social media. So if you've ever had imposter syndrome or if you've ever wondered if you're good enough or your work isn't good enough or why you don't fit in here in this group or um, your work uh, doesn't measure up and you have feelings of confused self-worth this is going to be a breakthrough show for you. Now, Amanda has was been, you know, again, in previous shows, very, very articulate on the topic. And now, I think five or six years on, it's like she has hit sage status. Very grateful for her time, and you're going to love this show. So I'm going to get out of the way. Enjoy this episode, yours truly, and the amazing Amanda crew. Amanda Crew, welcome back to another show. I am so excited to be here. I can't believe it's been five, six years, which is, we were talking about before, just how it feels like it was two years ago, but. Yeah, and we both look exactly the same. Yeah. Haven't aged, haven't aged today. <laughs> What's the latest? For those, the handful of people in the uh, universe who, for some reason, did not watch the hit show, one of my favorite shows in the last decade, called Silicon Valley, um, for the handful of people who don't 
know you from that work, please tell the kind, gentle people who are listening and watching a little <laughs> bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Okay. My name is Amanda Crew. I'll give my slate. I'm 5'9". Um, I'm based <laughs> in Los Angeles, California. Um, no, I'm, a, I'm an actor. I've been acting since I was probably 16 and um, been lucky to have a, a career, I guess you could call it. Yes. <laughs> I've been working throughout all those years. And um, most people, when I get recognized on the street, it's not from Silicon Valley. It's either uh, she's the man if you were a teenager in the early 2000s um, with Amanda Bynes, a fan favorite. And uh, Sex Drive was is another one that I get recognized for often, which is another fun teen comedy, but have had a very long, beautiful career and Silicon Valley was the last TV show I did that. I, we finished right before the pandemic started. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Eight seasons. Is that right? Seven. 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 seven six. Seven. Yeah. It, it was long. Another thing where I look back in my life I, and I think that was just yesterday that I started that, but it was like 10 years ago that, which is just wild. Wild. I <laughs> love that show mostly because I was actually experiencing Silicon Valley, while you guys were doing that show as a founder, a CEO of a of a venture backed company, and all that shit's true. I know everyone who works in that field say, says that show was just so hard to watch because it was like way too close to home. Yeah, yeah. too close to home. It was so true, and I have escaped the the grasp of Silicon Valley. I think a lot of a lot of good things ha happen. Used to happen. Happen. Used used to happen there. Um, but the show is so spot on. And what, I mean, um, you had a new film out too, which is one of the reasons that I was excited to have you back on the show. But you're a wise soul, wise, very wise human. <laughs> and you are. And you're also one of the funniest people I know. I mean, I've, every time I'm with you, I laugh very, very hard, which, you're, I mean, your character in Silicon Valley was pretty funny. But these teen, these the teen... Flex. Do you feel like that's where you get to flex the most or where do you flex? You know, what's so interesting is that, uh, I, yeah, the, my first five years of my career was like teen comedy, that kind of role. And it, it, you did get to flex in a specific way in that. And it's so interesting because now I'm in this season of myself. I still love comedy, but I have such, um, a, a desire and crave to just like, uh, explore kind of more of the depths of me. I guess yes. you, that wise part you talk about. Yes. Which is so funny because I rewatched our first interview and I was like, oh, oh, you thought you knew. You didn't know. <laughs> oh. oh, isn't she cute? Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. You thought that was that was your truth. No, rude awakening coming. Just just wait six months. Yep, count it down. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm a Gemini, so I, I love to explore everything. And so I love comedy and being funny and silly, but I also do have, um, you know, other sides to me that I feel lately I've been even more called to kind of explore both per personally and also craving work that reflects that too. I have noticed the last mm -hmm. couple of roles you've done have been uh, serious drama, uh, including most recently, which we will talk about, uh, which is called Some Other Woman. The trailer is incredible. Um, 
And I know it, it debuted at uh, which film? A film it was festival. Mammoth, Mammoth yep, film Mammoth. festival. Yeah, God, I love Mammoth. Um, it debuted there, and now it goes into the world where people buy and sell and distribute those things. Um, super cool trailer. That was a maybe you can give an overview on that one, and then I want to go back to the very very beginning of your actorship, your actorshipness um, <laughs> in in uh, upper lower Canada. But before we get there, so what's the the backstory on some other woman? So some other woman is it's kind of like a psychological thriller about a woman played by me who is um, you know she's married to Tom Felton. <laughs> In real life, no. the, the actor Tom Felton from Harry Potter fame, which he, I had to let him know I've never seen a single Harry Potter movie. <laughs> I love that. In real, like, nice to meet you. You know, everyone else loves your stuff. I don't. I don't. Know. I've never seen. I think he he appreciated it too. But anyway, so I'm married to him, and it's kind of like we have an idyllic life on the outside. Kind of everything you've been told is is what you should want you know they're they're living in the Cayman Islands he's his career as a realtor is just blowing up and she you know they're they're married looking to start a family and um just have this really beautiful life but something in her just is rising up of like this doesn't feel right and she experiences uh, a personal trauma that kind of creates like a fissure and it's like there's like a break and things start kind of shifting and changing. And she's, it's almost like this duel within her of like what she's been told she wants and what she really wants. And the kind of battle for that using some kind of psychological elements and uh, just um, the, the themes of it really speak to me personally. And that's why I was excited to do it because it felt very symbolic of my own personal experience, not in the exact same way, but the, the themes of it, of kind of the life you've been told that you should want versus what you actually want and how it's not so black and white as to how to navigate that path and, and discovering it for yourself and the of journey. Course. Yes, yeah. we are going there. We are going <laughs> to cover this. This is, again, it's super well-timed. And when I I, um, I, a lot of my friends are actors and, um, are, I think there's this, there's a, there's this tends to be a symbolism, either running away from <laughs> like, hmm, I'm going to be, I have a very difficult life and I'm going to, you know, play this, uh, funny person, or there's a lot of symbolism and, you know, maybe these are the roles that, that we are, you all as professional actors are attracted to, but I'm going to put myself in the shoes of the listener or the watcher right now. And, and like, I think that the Hollywood generally is this sort of black box that people think they understand. And so today I'd like to understand a little bit more of that from you, uh, through the lens of what you just described your last role and it was symbolic and whatnot. So before we do that though, I want to pin that for like 10 minutes from now. And I want to go back to, you mentioned in our little intro that you have been acting since you were a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, and so take us back. I know you were Canadian, so maybe walk us through a little bit of heritage. And how does one, um, I don't know, it seems like a heavy task if to, to act as essentially a child, right? A 16-year-old, you said? Yeah, yeah, 16 is when I so when I started. Let's go back there. And you started, did you, did you fall in love with theater or how did you get started and 
uh, and just walk us through your your journey from discovering that this this uh, part of yourself, this actor, and then getting down to uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, so I like growing up. I did a lot of dance, tap, jazz, ballet, and really enjoyed performing, and really just loved. It was. It's interesting because I loved performing, yet also when we would do the dance competitions, I hated it. I liked the recital at the end of the year where you got to just perform with no pressure. But then when there was the competitions, I would just get so anxious over it. But the whole dance process itself, like I just loved all of that. And that continued to grow for me. And I think my mom, you know, I talk about her in pretty much every interview because I wouldn't be here without her kind of seeing that in me and nurturing it, but in a very beautiful way of like not trying to make me, you know, she wasn't a momager and she was very wary of like me getting into acting, but she could see that there was this, um, this passion in me. And so she just found me different acting classes, just recreational local kind of classes. And I really, really loved it. And, you know, was involved in high school, um, theater and, um, uh, one of the classes I took, when I was about 15 was more kind of like a film and television one. And the final showcase, um, a bunch of agents came and that's how I got an agent was that they, they saw me there. And so like, I was doing it for a while, like as a hobby. And then my mom, cause my mom wanted to make sure that, you know, this was something that I genuinely wanted to do. And, and it wasn't just the idea of it. And, and then, you know, from there, it's just your classic, journey of auditioning and not booking anything for a really, really long time. And, <laughs> um, and that seems to still be the journey. Apparently it just never ends. Uh, but, but, um, you know, Vancouver fortunately has like a really, um, big, uh, industry in itself. Yeah. And a lot of American stuff goes up there and, and Canada has its own industry. And so it was a really great place to start out professionally because it is a bit of a smaller, um, community and, um, you know, it, it definitely has a def a different energy than when I moved down to LA, which was after I did sex drive, I think I was 21 was when I moved down to LA and decided to kind of make that, that leap and, um, kind of start, it felt like I was starting all over again. Um, even though I had quite a few credits under my belt, but coming down to LA, is just like, no one knows who you are. They don't really care. <laughs> still the same story i don't know <laughs> <laughs> they pretend to not know you just so that they can negotiate yeah with you so for their i think this part of you have reference and for those who uh love your work and find value in this particular conversation we I had you on the show previously which was six years ago we mentioned um that was pretty much was that peak silicon valley probably um and that was, I think there was a very rich conversation there. And mm -hmm. I remember you mentioning your mom in that particular conversation as well, which I, I think is valuable and not just heartfelt, but I'm interested in right now, there are people who are listening for whom they have children, you know, small children. And you are very thoughtful every time you talk about your mom and her you almost talk about it like a protective, like wanted to see to make sure you really like it. And I'm wondering if you can give some advice to, to parents 
who are considering that or, or their kids love it, or maybe they're in it for the not, not the right reasons. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, share a little bit of wisdom. Please don't do it for not the right reasons. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting with, with, you know, I was 16, so I'm not like a kid anymore. Yeah. Um, and, but I've worked with a lot of child actors and it's, it's not black and white. There's a lot of pros that I see of it. And, and then there's also a lot of cons, but there's also a lot of pros and cons at 16 and at 36. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really challenging industry. And what my, my experience that is of, of no one's fault is just part of the journey. And I think it is probably part of the journey of anyone who starts a career at a, at a young age, but even older, I have had to really undo a lot of self-worth and identity in my career. Um, because when I started, I was 16. That's when you're discovering who you are. You're yeah. a teenager and you're, you know, becoming your own person. And I found this thing that our society, for whatever reason, holds on a really high pedestal of like, wow, you must be really important. You're on TV. And um, I really was escaping a lot of my own personal trauma. And so it was like, I can't say that that was bad or good. It just was what it was. Um, who knows what then I would have used to escape that trauma. And so I, I really was kind of seeking my worth and my value in this thing. And I think at times that saved me, but then it kind of ran its course and it then became really harmful to me because when I wasn't working or I didn't get the job. Suddenly I felt very worthless and I had no value. And this panic would rise up in my body. Like everything was being taken away. And it's been a lot of personal work and therapy to kind of rectify that relationship because it's, it's hard. Our, our culture, like I said, for whatever reason really sees, um, you know, actors or, you know, "Quote unquote celebrities as the the pinnacle of, of an achievement. I think now, especially in this kind of influencer culture, it's just um, it's a really toxic dynamic to be putting anyone on a pedestal, but especially trying to put yourself on a pedestal and uphold that. Uh, I think is a recipe for disaster, and I experienced it. <laughs> and me." <laughs> Don't go, don't point at me because remember what happens when you do that. Do you remember? What oh, yes. Her photo. <laughs> I know. I know what it was. <laughs> Personal. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, but so you, do you feel like your mother simultaneously, you, you, you mentioned you thought she did a fantastic job. Yeah. And, and yet you're sharing with us very, thank you very much for your vulnerability. You're sharing with us sort of the downside of public i don't know if it's public life if it's just acting or if it's just public life in general i don't even think it's public life just because i've never you know i've had moments of kind of people knowing who i am but it's never been an excessive kind of so aware of people being aware of me and and again like i said i it's i, I think it's just more something to be aware of if you are a parent and you're putting your child through this and it's just part of it. Like, I don't think there's any way to avoid it. And like I said, my mom did such a good job in protecting 
me with that, but there's an inevitable course of that. And so I think just being aware of the energy that's surrounding it, that this isn't all of who you are, um, that this is really neat, but there's also a lot of really neat things about you that are just inherent and not attached to your accomplishments or, you know, what it all looks like on the outside. This is where I reveal to all of the maniacal photographers who watch the show that you are a photographer <laughs> as well. Yeah. So did, was photography for you, was your self-worth tied up when, when you didn't get the job or you hadn't worked for a while or, you know, any N number of things that you just shared and you talked about feeling less than, mm -hmm. um, you know, you were aligned with your work, you were either successful or not successful. Did your, did you have the same mentality with your photography where you're all of a sudden a bad photographer as well? Was it, did it go to your identity, to your human, or was it reserved for acting? And the reason I'm asking this question is, is this sort of, sort of a safety buffer? If you can have sort of a multidimensional, you know, aspects to yourself, does that help manage against this, the, you know, the trauma revisiting or this self-worth conversation, which I think, you know, it, I'm, it, I'm essentially lifting and stamping this away from just acting and yeah. asking, you know, how did you buffer that? Did photography help it? Did being a, recognizing you're a multidimensional human help it? I think buffer is a really great word because um, I was buffering and the photography was a buffer. It was like, something that I had control over that I could use to express myself. But the buffer in it that then ran its course was that then I was seeking external validation through the photography. And at first, and this isn't conscious, it's just, oh, here's this thing. And then um, I stopped doing photography for a while because I started to recognize the same pattern that I was not doing it just for me. There was a lot for me, but there was also an external validation that I was still seeking. And it just stopped feeling good because it was attached to that. And so that buffer ran out. And basically what I'm getting to is like, I, I chose a couple of different buffers until it all collapsed on me. And it's interesting because when we did our interview, it was in April of 2017. And uh, a couple months later was my 30th birthday. And I, that is like the beginning of what I call my dark night of the soul. And that's when everything collapsed in on me. And it's not externally, like my, from the outside, my life looked great. I was still working on Silicon. Acting was going great. Beautiful partnership with my now husband like everything on the outside was great, but internally all of these buffers were no longer buffering and I was miserable and it, I like nothing made sense to me anymore. All these things that used to make me feel good and empowered and worthy and valuable, suddenly all of it felt meaningless, which was a mind fuck to me because my whole life, I had been doing this. It felt good. Why is it suddenly not working? And I'm grasping, trying to make it work. And um, my 30th birthday, I 
it was just the wildest experience because nothing happened. But for whatever reason, I just could not stop crying. Like I was sobbing the whole day. And, um, and fortunately I had a friend in my life at that time who recognized what was happening. You know, I, I confided in, in, in them and, uh, he was just like, you're going through a dark night of the soul. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> He's like, Google. go look it up. Yeah, no. And there wasn't that much, but I did find this excerpt from like Eckhart Tolle talking about it. It's usually instigated by a sudden death um, in your life where suddenly life doesn't make sense anymore, or it can just be an internal rupture, which is again, going back to why this movie, Some Other Woman really resonated with me because this is, this is what kind of like, for whatever reason, something in my soul or my spirit was just like, no. And I um, found a therapist. I'd done therapy before, but because of the state that I was in, I just made this promise to myself that I would not hold anything back. I would be so brutally honest with myself and really once and for all get to the, the root of all of this stuff. And it was a like three years of intense therapy. And again, I say that with an incredible amount of privilege, financial and employment security and all of the privileges that I have that I could do that. But it was some of the most challenging work that I've I've done and I've <laughs> recovered from an eating disorder. So that's a pretty strong statement to say that, like this felt way more challenging than that. And um, really you know, had to get to the, to the heart of, of what was really going on to make sense of my life and forge a path forward that had meaning to me that wasn't attached to, you know, these external identities that felt meaningful, but no longer felt meaningful. Hmm. Was the talk talk about the significance of your 30 30th birthday as it related to that i i don't know i don't think there was i think there's there it it was just that maybe the mortality piece that you're talking about like why it sometimes visits people who after they've lost someone or yeah i i think it just like like divinely came to a boiling point at that time and um so I don't, that was why it was so disorienting because it's, it wasn't attached to an event that I could point to and be like, oh, you're feeling turned upside down because this thing happened. It, I couldn't point to anything specific, you know, going into therapy though, I could, I've uncovered the roots of it, but you know, the biggest thing that the, the build, the rising feeling in me was I have everything that my childhood self dreamed of. I'm on this HBO show. I'm, I have an incredible acting career. I have an incredible partner. I have an incredible home. I have an incredible bank account. I have all of these things and I can tell myself, well, it's not this or it's not this and kind of keep pushing the rock down the road. Like, well, once I get that, then I'll finally feel good enough. Or once I get that and I had been doing that and I could see that that's, a, that's endless. And I know what's down there and it's not going to be, it's not going to give me what I think it is because 
I five years ago said it was this and this isn't giving it to me. And so I think it was kind of like an identity crisis of just, I've been told that if I accomplish all of these things, then I'll finally feel happy and successful and worthy and joyful and all these things. And I almost feel worse having all of this and not having that feeling. Mm. I think that's insightful there. I'm wondering if you can, if you're willing to get a little bit specific with us, you talked about therapy, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, are there some particular modalities or was it spending time away, leaving, um, acting for some time? Was it, you know, the relationship that you deepened with your partner or was it, you know, physical exercise or was it meditate or a handful of things? What tools do you feel like you put to work that worked for you? Acknowledging that everyone's journey is going to be different. I'm just curious about the specifics for you. Yeah. And yeah, everyone's journey is completely different and specific and personal to you. And that's what I say about recovering from my eating disorder for people who are, you know, working through that. It's like what worked for me is not necessarily what's going to work for you. And the biggest thing you can do is put yourself in the driver's seat and decide for yourself, you know, what works for you instead of outsourcing that knowledge to other people. But that's even a skill that I had to learn. Um, so the, the modalities I use really changed over the years as I started to, um, gain more, uh, confidence in trusting myself. Cause at first I didn't trust myself. So first it was just getting into therapy and kind of just learning like how I actually feel like, and, and questioning beliefs about myself and stories and identities. But that takes time because I was so um, still in kind of the programmed mindset that that we're all conditioned in because of our culture. And so first, just kind of like feeling safe with yourself. And it it really did. I had to like slowly like push things out. Like you talk about taking space and it was, you know, even just the smallest things. Like at the time I was working with a personal trainer and I was just like, I have to like just work out by myself when it feels good and how I want to do. And that even shifted into like, I just want to walk. That's all I want to do. I don't want to, I would get anxiety going into the gym and I used to override that. And you know, people say that blood flow and working out makes you feel good, the endorphins or whatever. But for me, it was actually giving me anxiety and my body was like, slow down. You need to just stop spiking your cortisol and just be chill. And so just became walking. And that's like counter to the culture of like what we're told and why I avoided it for so long. So that's just an example of kind of starting to listen to yourself and go against what we've been told is correct and listen to what's correct for you. For other people, it could be, no, I need to do an aggressive physical activity to just get lost in it. And that's great too. There's no right or wrong way and creating that space. And, and then for me with, cause a lot of it was connected to my career. I did like take a step back from my career for like a year, just over a year. And we had a hiatus with Silicon. And so usually you're trying to like work in between then. And I didn't. And 
it was, it really confronted a lot of, you know, old beliefs and ideas about my worth and my value because I wasn't trying to achieve something in my career at the time. And the hardest part was when I had to really ask myself the question, do you even want to do this anymore? And that question was like, let's just keep that over there. Like, I don't like, <laughs> like it, it. I would, I would hear it kind of come up and I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. because the idea of even like asking myself that question felt so scary because if I opened myself up to that, what if the answer was, I don't want to do this anymore. And then who am I if I don't have this thing anymore? And I put it off for a while. And then when I did ask myself that question, to not rush to an answer, to give myself that space and time to really look at it from all different angles. And that's uncomfortable too. And counter to our culture, we're so like in urgency and immediacy and wanting things fast. And so to give yourself the space and time to really sit with something and know it so that when you do come to your answer, it feels true and not because you're trying to avoid an uncomfortable feeling. Um, I'm going to share a personal story real quick, and I'm going to um, ask you to be a sounding board. And if it sounds similar, um, again, what I'm trying to do is develop their, uh, each person's journey is their own. And yet, you know, once we realize that so many people that we know that are near to us and we wouldn't actually have the idea that they were going through this or processing this. So there's sort of like in the particular lies this universal, right? So um, Creative Live was acquired a year ago, October by a big public company. And as an entrepreneur to have an idea to raise a bunch of money to, you know, grow to 10 million users and then have it acquired looks that's the thing right that's great that's the journey and especially helping other creators find their mission you know pat yourself on the back and there was sort of two concurrent letdowns for me one was okay cool the acquisition has gone through Whew, big like ah pat yourself on the back that lasted like the buzz lasted i'm not even joking like a week mm-hmm. a week a week, ten, you know, a dozen, 10 years of building with hundreds of people and tens of millions of dollars. And the buzz lasted a week. Next one, when you realize, uh, you know, I'm ushering the company into the new public company that had acquired it and realizing that this is not, you know, and, and I was pretty clear with the acquirer, like I'm like entrepreneur, creative guy. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm happy. I want to make this successful inside. Another letdown when you realize you're like, definitely not for me. Gotta, mm. gotta like wrap up my universe as soon as possible. Managed to, you know, negotiate um, this parting ways very amicably as sort of was expected. And then I was like, cool, I need to just get right back and do another thing. I, that, that, I was like, literally, was like, cool, I'm gonna take two weeks off. You know, I have all these definitions of myself as you know, this list of attributes. So I'm going to take a two week vacation and then I'm going to go right back to being me. And I was two things that one, I was just fucking tired mm-hmm. and I didn't realize I was tired. And I kept then hitting this motivation wall and motivation is not a thing for me. I'm, I tend to pursue my passions and, and then all of a sudden then I'm like, Holy shit, what's wrong? I am broken. I'm busted because the motivation didn't come. What to do next wasn't obvious. You know, and 
I was just fucking tired. So I wasn't listening to myself. I was absolutely like, oh, if you are this identity, you need to be going and doing this thing. And it, it was literally a good six months. Mm-hmm. Six months, which mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like, and you can build an entire, you know, you can make a film, you can build a house, you can, there's lots you can do. And to rest and to listen to myself very reluctantly was the most difficult thing I've done as an adult. Oh, yeah. So sharing this, is that, do you report similar experiences? And so that's thing one. And then thing two, what did you do to trust you to learn to trust yourself? I'm over here talking to the world and writing books about trusting yourself and intuition. And, and yet even in this moment, I struggled. Report to me your experiences, <laughs> if you will. Reporting for duty. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate your vulnerability and, and your experience because I think, I think, more people are are speaking up about kind of um, you know what's happening internally versus what we're seeing externally. Um, yeah. But I also think not enough people are, and I feel like a big lesson for me is I just see the external and I take it as like fact. Fact, yes. And then compare it against my internal world, and I'm like, wow, I'm I'm messed up because I seem to be the only one struggling with this. But then you talk to people and it's like everyone's struggling, but not everyone's talking about it. So I I appreciate you sharing that. And it's kind of why I want to talk more about it too, because it's just like, I want to demystify this idea. And I think it's, it's, I don't even know if there's, and I almost don't even want there to be a version where you reach this, reach this pinnacle of success where that isn't part of your reality, because I think I just don't think that's realistic. And I think being like me accepting that has actually been very healing for me. And I think this um, time that you needed to just come down, you know, I've, it resonates so deeply because it's, it's so um, you just see everyone doing all of this stuff and you feel like, why can't I? And uh, honestly, learning more, I know I won't get too into it, but like learning more about capitalism, I'm like, oh, we've all been brainwashed and we're just these like little soldiers of capitalism that feel bad that we need rest. And it's just, we're human beings and, and we need rest and we can't always be producing and creating. And, you know, I, I look to nature for inspiration with that stuff. And it's just like, you know, the, the orange tree is not always creating oranges. There's a winter where it sheds everything and everything has to die and fall off to then nourish the, the soil and the tree to then regrow a whole new thing. Um, and to ask yourself to be constantly producing is just too much, too much pressure. And I think that's why we're having these you know, I had a personal collapse and, and that you needed six months, I think is like, I, I really celebrate and like honor the fact that you listened to yourself and did it. And so fucking hard though. It, so like what, like what parts were hard for you? Like what was there like a voice? Coming the voice up? inside my head was, have you run out of ideas? Like, is this, you know, you, I feel like 
when I have historically identified as doer of lots of things, you know, making documentary films, doing photo, you know, campaigns, uh, building companies like Energizer Bunny identity. Let's just, you know, and then, you know, you, you, you ring the bell, whatever the thing you accomplish a goal. And when you realize that your desire is to go hunt another goal within moments of ringing the bell on the last one, that was to me, to me, there, you know, speaking, you, you mentioned Eckhart Tolle, there's this sort of awareness that had to come first. It's like, Hmm, the thing that I've been like pat on the back for my whole life, and especially in internet culture, that actually, that might not be all that good for me. <laughs> you know, there's, and then you don't want that to be true because there's a window of time where you're not getting patted on the back and you're like, wait a minute. Who am I without the pat on the back? Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, I think this is, I'm vulnerable. I'm lightweight vulnerable here. I'm like, this is, this is not the full, but it, it was, um, then there was a fear of, well, am I, am I done? Did, did someone put a fork in me? You know, you, you check the boxes and like you said, you get the, the house and the bank accounts and the, like, everything looks great on paper. And was that, that's the, that's the, uh, what's it called? The crescendo, mm -hmm. um, to have no ideas and then to wonder as an idea, like person, that's how I think of myself. Wow. What am I then? So it sort of started peeling back this layer, this onion and it was actually this, the season's metaphor that like, wait a minute, man, when was the last time you rested? You know? And I was like, oh fuck, I was like 10, 11, <laughs> you know, I took a season off the basketball team or something when I was 11 mm -hmm. and you start to realize that that's, uh, that's very unhealthy. And so again, to, to shape this for people who are listening and watching, it, it turns out that any one of our friends, if you really have these honest conversations, you know, a third are probably, if the seasons, you know, there's four seasons and one is winter, let's just say 25% of people mm -hmm. are wintering right now. It doesn't matter if the sun is shining, it's winter for them. And if you looked around, you wouldn't know it, but the numbers can't lie. Like 25% of our time is spent in winter. And it was really recognizing that, what if I'm supposed to rest? What if I'm, yeah. you know, this is a winter. If I do need to sort of shed that stuff and hunker down a little bit and like, uh, the sea as true as the seasons after resting for enough time, I started sort of dreaming again. And mm -hmm. then an idea, you know, I'd wake up and I started journaling and I didn't feel like meditating, didn't feel like all the stuff. So I'm suggesting that there are at least 25% of listeners right now, if I'm speaking to you, then fantastic. And if you're at peak summer, high five, bloom, blossom, yeah. go, <laughs> it's go exactly pound that margarita, smell that flower, whatever. But just know that the reality of the life that we lead as humans, our human experience has winters. Okay. So your, you, you had spoken, I loved the track that you were on about the different modalities, you know, you, and, and listening to yourself specifically like, oh, if you feel bad, you know, go to the gym. And it turned out that walking, you know, still moving your body, I, that's not an untruth, but how did you learn to trust yourself? Um, bit by bit, step by step, and like the the smallest baby steps, like that. Just, I, I, it's, I don't know. 
I think it's like figuring out the easiest ways to connect with yourself. For me, I've always loved journaling and, um, you know, I had stopped, which is a sign. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so just getting back into that, like every morning and no, like, doesn't matter what you write, like very morning pages, like just, just dump it all. And some days it might feel like you're, there's nothing, but just kind of getting in this rhythm of connecting with yourself. And I think everyone has at least one thing that they can think of is an easy way that they've always enjoyed connecting with themselves. It could be walking, it could be painting, it could be journaling, it could be listening to music and singing. Like it's, it could be the most basic thing, but that thing that just feels um, personal to you that probably has a through line throughout your life of like something they did kicking a soccer ball. Like it, it really doesn't have to be this like spiritual, right. you know, on the top of the mountain type thing. If that's your thing too, like great. Yeah. Um, but I think taking that and then like paying attention to what, like what's coming up in those things and building upon that. Like now I feel like there's just so many different ways that I, I connect with myself. I'm really into tarot. I, I feel like it's like a, a mirror that's like being held up to me and, and always pull something out. But there's just, there's always, you know, meditate, like we know all the things, but I think just finding the most simplest, basic ways to connect with yourself and to hear what is, is rising up in you, what is trying to speak to you. You have to make the space so that you can hear yourself. And even if that's just in your car ride, if that's the, if you're like a parent and the only time you have is like that 20 minute car ride, don't listen to the podcast. Don't let, don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) Don't listen to music. Like what's it like to drive just with yourself for 20 minutes and just creating that little pocket of time for yourself so that you can hear yourself because there is a voice in you that is super fucking wise but yep. it's being masked by all of this stuff. And that's like the identity stuff that I was talking about. It's just like, those were ideas of who I thought I was. And to get through those, to then hear like the truest, you know, the very Eckhart Tolle, like the, 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 the untouchable part of our, our spirit that's just never, um, it's, it's uh, eternal. And getting in touch with that part, because that part is the one that was telling me like, this is not the path for you. You need to change it. Like, this is who you are. Yes. Mm. So this wisdom, you talked about an eternal. Um, right now, there's someone who doesn't understand that. When mm. you said that, they're like, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you mean this eternal sort of wisdom in me? How would you, how would you describe it? Help us get in there this makes me emotional and I don't know why, but it's, I, I think because I didn't have access to, I understand that because I didn't understand that before. And I think when you start to understand it, things really start to shift. And I'm not saying this in a religious context, but just kind of a, a spiritual way. There is, I believe at least, and this has been my experience that, there is something in every one of us that is the purest part of ourselves that hasn't experienced the trauma that the, the, 
the ways that we've like beat ourselves up and believe that about it's like it's untouchable it's unscathed it it exists it's like the part that connects us to earth and to life and to life source it's like it's it's eternal when when our when we die and our body decomposes that part is still it it's still part of this this world and it is this this pure part of you that has the wisdom of life and and not these ideas about about life but like the essence of life and um you know i think all kind of spiritual and even religious stuff speaks to that in different ways but there's a through line through all kind of religion and spiritual and and when you can even touch that part of yourself make like contact with it for even five seconds there's a there's a remembering is all i can can explain it as it's, it's like a remembering of your purest truest self and i think we live in a world that's constantly telling us that we are broken and that we need to fix that and here's the fix and and while all of these modalities are are well intentioned and good and helpful and i've benefited from them controversial but like none of us are broken like yeah. we're not broken and um, it's just this perpetual kind of culture telling us that it's out there, but the reality is it's in here. And so, so true. And, and fostering that relationship. And that's been the shift for me is like to stop looking out there for it and start looking in here for it. And it does exist. It's just, you've got to like remove all of the, the bullshit and the stories and the false narratives that you've believed for so long about who you are, remove all of that to access the part that is true. And that the, the worth that I'm talking about that I put out there in my career and the validation that why it ran its course is like, I could, it's just like grabbing air. It's, it's only going to give it for a second. Why you had like a week of a dopamine hit after. And then like, it's done because those are all fun. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be like trying to, to, to do, do cool things shit. out in the world. Yeah. yeah, do it. It's fun, but do it for the joy because what a cool experience, but not because you think it's going to give you finally that feeling of like, I'm good enough. That's yeah. in here. And I know like we've heard that so many times and trust me, I've heard yeah. it a million times and like, I'm like, cool, but I still want the thing. And, but it is the more that I've kind of stopped focusing on the external and turned it inwards that's when I started to really feel a shift in my sense of self and, and taking pride in my path, not because um, it's checking any boxes, but because it's, it's, it's my life and I get to decide what it means. And I'm personally right now, not in a high moment in, in my career, that movie that we talked about, I filmed two years ago. I have not worked. I did not work last year. I'm I'm not in a like blossoming season and yet I feel so much more successful personally than when I was, you know, in my fifth season on an HBO show, which is like all the external checks are there. And I was, like I said, rock bottom, dark night of the soul. And here I am in externally, uh, and I'm saying this in quotes, a low and I've never felt more connected to myself, more happy, more in 
my worth and my value and, and feel like I'm actually on a path that excites me. Congratulations. First of all, (laughs) that's awesome. No, it's a, it's a huge, that is a win. Like getting in touch with our humanity when you really feel that thing, we've all felt it. I do think, as you said, it's, it's something that's in everyone and regardless the path or the journey and how you connect with that, that enduring peace, we've all felt it. And it's a kind and loving, I don't know whether you think of that as energy or what, but there are these little windows that we have where we can connect with that piece of ourselves. And, you know, it, it's, um, as you know, there more, we are, we discover our wisdom, that voice, the, the voice, the true sort of enduring part of our, who we are is the part that starts to speak you know, or we can, it's been speaking, we can maybe hear it. I don't know if that's the better, which is the better, which is the better way of processing it. Um, and I think, tell me, how, I'm going to try something on you. Tell me how it fits. So I don't remember where I heard this from. I'll just say, you know, out there in the world somewhere, but when there is a judgment that happens, if you're not careful of what well, was my path, the right path or mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a, an awareness at least of, and a looking back, you know, you can sort of connect the dots looking backwards. But when you look at a tree and you see it sort of at a grow crooked, you know, it's maybe in the shadow of a different tree. You don't look at that tree and you say, hmm, I wonder why it grew like that. You say, oh, it definitely, it did what it had to do in order to get enough light to survive in order to, you know, its roots went like this toward the, you know, whatever, because it needed water. And yet we, we don't apply that same Mm. sort of wisdom to a human. You know, as you said, like we're all, there's this beautiful piece of us, but we, we look at, you know, kind of put our hands on our hips and tilt our heads sideways like, Hmm, that's a, you know, she's different or he's, you know, has got his own thing going on. I want, you know, we don't actually ask the question that we're so easy to forgive, like the tree, it seems like obvious to us. So is that, do you find that there is a judgment of the journey and was that important for you or was that not true at all? And where are you now? Yeah, I think, yes, there is a judgment on the journey that is untrue, but there's a judgment because we've been told this is the way to to have a good life. This is, this is the path. And the thing with the the trees is we'll recognize when a tree's not growing, you know, in the traditional stand-up way, but no one's saying it's wrong. There's like, right. Oh, that's interesting. That's weird. That's different. But we have a judgment with ourselves of what's right and what's wrong. It's very binary, very black and white because we've been like fed through all these like success stories. And then people then can distill their success story to fit that mold too, even though I think most people's success story doesn't fit that narrative. And even just in the classical, like storytelling way of like, Oh, the hero's journey, like that. It's all, it's life is just all over the place and multiple things exist at the same time that, you know, you're, you're experiencing a lot of joy and success and also questioning things that both can be true at the same time. And I look back at, it's funny you mentioned this because I did just last week, really, um, I had a ceremony for myself. I call like the, the first part of like my career, I think you've heard of like that two mountains metaphor. Yeah, sure. And so just looking at like 
the first mountain and then the second mountain that I'm on. And for those listening who aren't familiar, it's like there's a classic kind of narrative of like the first mountain is the status quo mountain, what we've been conditioned to go after. And then you go take that mountain and then realize this isn't for me. And then you find your second mountain. That's like you're, you're filled with meaning and personal um, purpose and it's different for everyone. But, you know, I, I definitely feel like I'm in my second mountain era and looking at mountain, the first mountain. And, you know, I used to really judge that mountain and the path that I took and, you know, the mistakes and the failures and, oh, if I had done this, blah, blah, blah. And last week when I was reflecting on it, I had such a different view on it because I, it was that realization of there's no way I would be at this place in my second mountain had not all of that happened. And that it's so easy to put a lens of like, looking at through all of that through a filter of what I did wrong and what, why it failed and why that's bad. And there's also like a lot that I learned that I'm taking to mountain, the second mountain with me that, that I'm proud of. And also the mistakes are what have informed the second mountain. And so it's like, you can't have that. Like I, you know, unpopular opinion, but I would not take back my eating disorder from my early 20s. It it has changed my relationship with myself. And had I not been confronted with that, I don't know who I'd be. And I don't want to be that person without that. And so to really take ownership over all parts of our lives and, and to not put a judgment of like good or bad on it, but just kind of curiosity and opening yourselves up to like, there's multiple truths that can exist about this and multiple takeaways and what a gift when we can be, you know, open to seeing it that way and not just looking at it in, you know, a rigid black and white way. And I think the the rigidity of that is because we're scared of like what's in between. That's why we want to stay with just kind of good and bad. And so much of like what's opened up for me has been in my ability and it's a skill I've had to like build on, but just opening myself up to multiple truths existing at the same time. That's yeah. I keep going back to Eckhart Tolle. I think he's so good. Like that's the part of like, you can both be mad at someone and love them. But in our culture, it's like, you know, those are very separate things, but being a human and like, um, surviving, if not thriving, you know, there's all kinds of these, um, competing ideas. And I think the word that I like to use is conditioning, like what culture or friends or parents or all of that has conditioned us collectively to believe. And you can start to, and you can start to separate that from your reality. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to share another thing. So I'm writing another book, also doing a lot of morning pages. And for those who aren't clear when Amanda referenced morning pages, that was Julia Cameron's work from the artist's way. She's been a guest on the show, create a couple episodes there. You should go listen to those, but also big morning pager, like morning journal, get stuff out before you have this judgmental mind. Um, and I was doing a lot of writing and I was in this post, like, uh, your company is acquired universe and trying to say what we, you know, we're, we've been chasing success. We used to chase survival as humans, we got that pretty wired. Then we're chasing success as a product of an industrialization. 
And what we ought to chase is fulfillment. So we've been doing it wrong and now we need to set a new new goal. Seemed like a really good thing on paper. My publisher's loving it. So I'm writing, you know, tens of thousands of word on this, words on this. And then when I go back to read it, it sounds like this. It sounds like, hey, bend to the mountaintop. You guys trust me. Don't need to go. It's windy. It's cold as shit. Why don't you just chill like mid mountain somewhere, chill. It's trust me, that's where you're going to find the good stuff. And it sounded a super pretentious and um, privileged and all those things. But what it really is, is like, if you say, oh, you don't want you don't want to be rich. Oh, God, don't. No, you don't want to. No, you don't want to be an actor in Hollywood. And I'm, I'm envisioning basically everyone's sort of like who's listening is turning their head sideways and scratching their head and like, okay, cool. Thanks for that. Hold my beer. I'm going to go do that thing. And then I'll judge. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out that I, mean, I scrapped all that work because it just sound, it came I just, it wasn't working. And you have to actually just do that. You have to climb the first mountain first. You do because you have to find out. I like, don't how I would never. I've heard this before. I'm not going to take their freaking word. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you did it wrong. I'll do it. And I think that's like part of the experience. Is it like is. you need to. That's the thing. To, you can't to, avoid that first mountain. Yeah, you need to. You need to um, to experience it for yourself. But maybe as the kind of you know, I feel like the conversation collectively has been shifting a bit, and so maybe it's like you still go to the top of that mountain, but there's an awareness, just kind of like you know that there's you're gonna hit some sort of personal reckoning with it all um and maybe you'll be saved the five years of the dark night of soul (laughs) to endure but it's like you really do have to figure it out and also you know i'm not gonna take the first mountain away from everyone for some people maybe it does really work and great like live that i hope so like I, I personally don't recommend the dark night of the soul, but like would not take it away. Yeah. But it's just when I recognize someone going through it, I'm like, oof, here's my number. Like right. I've got some notes. Um, but it's true. But I do love your fulfillment piece because I do think that has been a perspective shift for me too of go, yeah, go have the dreams. Go, go, go like aspire for for greatness in whatever way you understand that. But don't put off your fulfillment until you get to the top. Like enjoy the entire process, even the lows. And that's why I'm like saying right now I'm in a low and I feel good because I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> Who am I? I don't know what's going to come next. I don't, I don't know. But just enjoying all of it and not putting off your joy and your happiness until some symbolic moment to then find that I think that's something else too, is we think that because we all want to be quote unquote happy and joyful, that then it will just like when those moments happen, we'll know how to feel that. But I do think that joyfulness and happiness and contentment is an actual skill we have to build that is inherent in us. But the same way as talking about learning how to communicate with yourself, I think we need to learn how to receive joy and and feel joy and and what that like we have a lot of blocks around that because we've been conditioned with a lot of rules of well you have to earn that 
And so then when it comes, then you're questioning, did I work hard enough for this? That person didn't get it. So maybe I shouldn't feel good about this because I didn't fully earn it. And it's going to be taken away. All of these stories that kind of block us to being alive to our own life, you know, and so cultivating that fulfillment, I think is an actual skill. And so I love that, that you have that piece. Cause I think it's a really important piece that a lot of people, myself included have missed. I absolutely missed the fulfillment part. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I think the concept that you just shared of it being a skill, especially when you're being bombarded with all this other sort of what I would just call misinformation or a simplified version of the human experience. Um, our, our friend Brene Brown calls it um, gold-plated grit when you say, mm. oh yeah, that was so hard, but I, I got through it and now I'm on a new path. You know, it's, it's, um, it's so easy for us to, to not talk about that part of it, which is I'm grateful that we spent, you know, the most of, most of the show today talking about this. Cause to me, this is a thing that I, you know, having, um, I guess gone through that journey personally, you start to look at it like, man, if I, my, my goal is to just help raise awareness as you know, I think that's what you talked about, why you were sharing so much about your eating disorder, for example, it's like, if I can save you, what is it? Five minutes or $50? You know, it's like, I would, I would so happily do that. And it's not so that you don't have to like, you don't have to climb the first mountain. No, no, you have to climb the first mountain. But it's sort of like, as I think Ram Das, you know, if the first part of our life is going out and achieving and acquiring, and the second part of our life is, is what is it? We're all walking ourselves home. Mm. Like, you know, that's that, whether it's the second mountain or you're walking yourself home, it's, it's the, the, the ability to be comfortable with who you are. Um, and what I am finding is it's unlocking a completely different, um, I don't know, set of interests and passions and, um, curiosities. Uh, you, you, you referenced the, you know, being, Hmm, this is interesting. This new phase, even though the lows start to be, um, things you can be curious about rather than, um, maybe worried sick. <laughs> yeah. That was like a reframe in the, there was one book I found on the dark night of the soul. I can't remember the author. It's a guy. I have it somewhere, but there was a reframe in how he was presenting it of like this sound, like he described what it is. He's like, sounds awful. Right. And I'm like, yeah, like, I don't want to do this. And he said in the book that like, you're being given the most rare opportunity to go to the basement of who you are and discover a whole new like level of your of yourself and it's going to open you up to to whole new like part of who you are that you can't really access unless you're in in this space and it was a it wasn't it was a comfort it didn't make it like easier but it was a helpful reframe of like even in this there's a gift in it for me and and seeing it that way was really helpful in me kind of to get through that really dark time because it was it was really hard and we're so conditioned to only feel like that there's gifts in the high moments but there are a lot of gifts in in the low moments as well oh and to be to be looking for joy the whole time because joy is everywhere you know joy is wherever you look for it you know this part is the people think that if I get this thing, then I will be happy. And it kind of turns out it's actually just the opposite. 
if you can become joyful, joyful amidst suffering, because that's the human experience or joyful, Mm -hmm. you know, relative to all of the other things in your, in your experience, then that's actually going to then bring about the things that you, you know, want the person you want to be or become in this world rather than the other way around. If you're always, then you're back on that hamster wheel that you talked about. So, um, so grateful for you sharing so much. Um, the, the fact that this is, as you said, you're in a low, like this is absolutely so rich with, um, and so generous on your part to share. Um, thank you. First of all, second of all, we have a lot to learn because if this is, you know, the grace of a human, uh, who's an incredibly funny, brilliant, smart, wise, talented actor. If you can um, walk through the dark night of the soul and then come on the other side, it's sort of like you're just kind of like grooving. You've got some headphones on and you're just like bopping your head. We all have a lot to learn. So I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, and your photography, are you are you taking pictures anymore? Or are you on a break from that? Because your photography is awesome. I want to direct people to Amanda-Crew, C-R-E-W.com gorgeous photography there. Are you still taking pictures? What's your status there? I, like I said, I, I took a, a, a long pause when I was going through this uh, dark night of the soul and um, have just recently actually uh, been picking my camera back up again and and kind of figuring out like what is my new kind of, not style, but just kind of, I tried to like go back to what I was doing and it's just like, oh, that obviously it's not going to work anymore because I'm a different person. So I'm just kind of playing around and, and seeing who, who I am now, but definitely um, really loving film right now for that experimentation. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what, what comes, but right now just, yeah, just playing around with it. It's been fun. Well, and thank you again for sharing the, the role that some other woman had on you as this reflection and you know having the person in this film be experiencing this uh i don't know if you classified it as i think you know, i'm trying to use your words not mine and i'm i'm at a loss it's like the trauma or there was a breaking a fissure a fissure yeah <laughs> there i did again sorry um, <laughs> um there's a fissure and yeah yeah i'm very very excited to see the film congratulations Anywhere else you would want to steer our lovely listeners and watchers to learn a little bit of, uh, more about you or the work that you're doing, where, where would you like to direct our attention? Um, so I'm only on Instagram at Amanda Crew, um, and I'm barely on it, but I do check my DMs if you're polite. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do like to connect with the people there. And then, um, you know, I know we just like kind of touched on it, but uh the eating disorder community is one that I'm very passionate about. I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Project Heal. And if any of that spark, you know, resonated with any anyone listening, um, please go check out Project Heal because it's a great resource for um, those who, you know, perhaps who know they're struggling or those who are questioning if, if perhaps they are struggling and how to get access to, to help and to treatment and, destigmatizing that because even before this, I used to think treatment was just full on rehab. Um, and you had to be really, really sick to access that treatment. And while 
there is that form of treatment. There's all sorts of levels of, of care and all sorts of levels of eating disorders. There's a spectrum. And so it's not, um, you're, I think a lot of barriers for people getting help is that they don't think that they're sick enough. And if you are questioning it, then that means that there is something um, that's not feeling great within you and that there's a lot of different um, ways that you can uh, to treat that and, and access care. And so check out Project Heal. I'm very, very passionate about the work that they're doing and about destigmatizing eating disorders. It's just absolutely mind blowing and incredible and just so generous for you to have had the success and fulfillment that you've had throughout your career as an actor, um, as a photographer, and now to be sharing this stuff. You know, some of, as I mentioned, I have so many you know close friends who are actors, and th- like your ability to communicate so clearly. Maybe it's because it's part of your profession, but uh, <laughs> it's just it's a treat. And um, I know I don't take it for granted for a second. So from me and from this community, I'll speak for the community here. Thank you so much. And until next time, I miss you, friend, down there in Southern California. Yeah, this was great. I, I was so excited to get to do this again because our interview we did six long years ago has remained one of my, my favorite. I, I love your, your conversations that you have um, on this platform and very grateful for the space that, that you've created for so many people. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to crossing paths again soon. I don't, I, I don't know. It rains in Southern California now, so I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Give it a month or two, and then we're going to be like plus a hundred degrees. And I know, and then we'll be whinging all the same. So, Uh, awesome from myself, uh, Amanda Crew. Thank you again so much for being a guest. And to everybody else in the world, please check out Amanda's stuff. Her new film, um, some of the places she directed our attention there at the end. And until next time, from Amanda and I, we both bid you a excellent day. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Together.